Well, it's that time of the week again. It's time for Chit Chat Across the Pond. This is episode 619 for December 14th, 2019. And I'm your host, Allison Sheridan. This week, our guest is Bart Bouchatz with Programming by Stealth, installment 88 of X. We're having fun now, Bart. We are indeed. Is is 88 where we go back in time? (laughs) 88 gigawatts or something like that? 88 miles per hour? I wonder how many zeros are in a giga. (laughs) I don't know. I got to tell you, I am really glad we had so much time to work on the homework from, what are we back, PBS 85, which is like 11 years ago, because <laughs> I have had so much fun just honing it and improving it and saying, well, that could work better. And what if I did this? And I think this could be even neater. And it it became it became really fun. It wasn't an obligation. It was like, I want to go work on it. I am, uh, this will make no sense for the Evergreen podcast, but I am going to blame you in the, my regular show for the fact that I haven't gotten okay. anything else done. Because all I've been doing, I, I keep sneaking off and playing with my code. I was going to say, it sounds like you caught the programming bug because that's pretty much, the, the, that's the rat hole I get, a rabbit hole I get sucked into all the time. Like, oh, but I could do this and I could do this and I could do this and I could do this. That's why software projects have no end. Oh, right, right, right. Well, we should, cool. uh, what are we, what's our, what's our plan of attack today? Our plan of attack is a little unusual today. Um, so we're going we're, we're continuing our tour of the many, many, many hats that JavaScript makes objects wear. Um, and we're looking at a pair of very, very related hats this time. We're looking at native DOM objects in passing. And what we've been using, which are like native DOM objects with superpowers, otherwise known as jQuery objects. So that gives us something important to talk about, which is jQuery objects and DOM objects, but also gives us the perfect opportunity to touch one thing that I know you struggled with, which is function chaining. So we definitely need to do a little bit of TLC on that. And then another concept that I don't think you ever quite got happy with was data attributes. So we're also going to touch on those two. So I, think I may have gotten slightly better at those in the... Aha. Okay. Eight weeks I've been working on a web app that does one tiny little thing. Okay, well, that's good, because the more appy your page gets, the more data attributes come into play. Um, okay. And the more pagey your page is, the less they matter. Um, sure. So for the this is all Redux. There's, not, there's literally not a single new thing in this episode, but it's a collecting together of many, 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 many weeks of things, I guess. And so on the one hand, it's an overview, but it's not a very deep overview because that's just doesn't seem like a good way to spend our time. So we're, we're interested in the tree, in the forest more than the trees. Okay. Uh, makes sense? Yeah. Yeah. And rather than having separate examples, I am using my solution to the challenge as the example for everything we talk about today. Because... This was a challenge to make a jQuery web app, and we're talking about jQuery and DOM objects, so why don't we, you know, it's a perfect example of why you would use jQuery. (laughs) Right, right. So before we dive into the detail, I do want to sort of take a a big picture look at my sample solution, just sort of the the, the big picture architecture about how it hangs together. Okay. Um, so there's links in the show notes where you can view the source in the in your browser over on GitHub. There's a link to view the actual solution running in your browser, which is through GitHack CDN, which is cool. And there's a link to download a zip file, which contains the one file that is my solution. Um, GitHack.cdn? Yeah, raw, raw cdn.github.com. They basically provide a f- 
caching front end to GitHub. Hmm. So anything you put on GitHub, they sort of download the source and host it as a real file. Hmm. So when you oh, go okay. to GitHub, so you get yeah. the HTML, but when you go to rawcdn.githack.com, raw you get the effect of the, you know, it opens in your browser instead of showing you the, the code. Okay. So it's really cool. So basically, I'm not hosting anything. It's it's all coming from Git, from GitHub, in fact. Um, so Microsoft are paying all the bills. Nice. Even the zip file actually is coming out of Git these days. Um, it's just easier because it means all the typos you find are easier to fix. Right. You're not having to fix it three places as you put it back. Yeah, I don't have to re-upload it to my server. And my server has way less files on it now because Microsoft's hosting them over in GitHub. Oh, that's handy. Yes, it is. And also, we should, at some point in the not-too-distant future, we need to actually cover Git on this series because we're now getting to the stage where we're writing little apps. And little apps deserve, you know, they deserve to be source-controlled. Well, anyway, so I, I I'm glad to hear you say we should do that because I could have sworn we did do that. No, and I tried to do it and I couldn't remember how to do it. And I was like, man, I I forgot a lot. Usually, you know, I've I've got at least a sense of how to do it, but I've I, I remember we talked about Git Kraken and we installed it and we talked yeah, about so it, but we didn't we talked do, about actually it. do it. Right. So we did it. Remember, we did an episode where I sort of just talked about the tools I like to use. Yeah. And Git Kraken was on my list of tools I adore, and it still is. It's it's still actually the, the client I use to this day. It's open right now, this second in front of me. Um, and I've actually mm-hmm. paid for the pro version, which is Bruce, how much I like it. Um, yeah, so I, I I had that installed before, and I reinstalled it on my new Mac. And uh, I separately put my my web app up on GitHub, and I was all excited. But for the life of me, I don't know how to get a, to, I don't know if it's called branching pull request, one of those kind of words, how to get it down and mess with it and put it back. I, I don't know how to do that, and I, I thought I just forgot, but that's good to know I haven't been taught yet. Yeah, we haven't done it yet, and so I think at some stage we need to do that, and we may have a chat over the next couple of weeks, but when we slot that into our plans, maybe we do that before PHP, because that shouldn't take more than a few weeks. Okay, good. Anyway, we're getting distracted again. So if you go to the link, you will see that my solution involves... I've this, I added... I did, so actually, the, so the challenge... From last time. Last time we had three cards of your choosing that just sat there. And they loaded their information using Ajax from a wonderful free web service called exchangeratesapi.io, which gets its information from the European Central Bank. And we just had three static cards that didn't change, but they were loaded with real data from this API, which is nice. And so the challenge was to turn this very static page into a basic web app by allowing users to dismiss the cards that are preloaded by default and to add other cards of their choosing. And then the bonus extra was to allow the user to control which comparison currencies were in each card. So I decided I should do both because it would be very mean of me not to give a sample solution to both. (laughs) Um, And I also did my homework twice because I was... About 75% of the way into it on my first approach. And I realized it was a terrible design and it was never going to be elegant code and it was getting worse and worse and more hacky and more hacky. And I was like, I can't explain this to myself, let alone to Alison. Oh, interesting. So you started over? I started over. You know the way you have the concept of a, you know, a bad smell and you refactor it? Well, this thing stank and the refactoring was take all, put in bin, start over. <gasps> wow. So my solution is now based on the concept not of... So my first attempt was 
to, as the user clicked on buttons, to build everything as they asked for it and insert it into the document. And so if you asked me for another row of currencies, I would go and insert a row into every single card. If you asked me for a new card, I'd go insert a whole new card. And if you asked me to remove a row, I'd go and remove a row from every card. And that was proving extremely messy. Now, you can do that with jQuery, and it would have been possible to finish it out, but it was not nice code. So my new solution uses the much more basic approach of showing and hiding things. Hmm. So each of those cards have all of the currencies all of the time, and you just see or don't see the ones you choose to see or not see, but they're actually all there. And there's actually an empty placeholder for every single currency until the first time you ask for the currency. Then it does the Ajax request, fills in the card. And then if you close the card, all you're doing is hiding it. So the second time you decide you do want to see the card again, all it does is just unhide it. So I've basically switched from inserting and deleting to hiding and showing. And that is way more elegant to write, it turns out. Hmm. Okay. So... Overall, big picture wise, heavy use of jQuery's.ajax function uh, to make the Ajax calls. Then the entire page is laid out using a bootstrap grid. In fact, two nested bootstrap grids. Um, then I found the absolute coolest new thing in bootstrap 4.4. I'm convinced this didn't exist in bootstrap 4.3 because I would have told you about it if it had. But they've added a new custom rendering for checkboxes that look like iOS style toggle switches. So um, I'm going to tell you what Dorothy said, and then I'm going to answer what you would say back to her. She, I told her that you did that, and I, I sent her the link to GitHack so she could see your code. And she keeps saying she's mad at you for using something that you didn't tell us about. And here's Bart's answer. No, Dorothy, the thing is, I'm trying to teach you how to fish. I'm trying to teach you how to look for things and find new things. So I'm not going to teach you everything. And in fact, I said about Bootstrap, I'm not going to teach you everything. How'd I you do? channel me very well. <laughs> well, but one of the things I did say to her is it required you to think outside of the checkbox, if you will, to <laughs> say, I wonder if there's a cooler looking thing than a checkbox. But we did never think of that. Yeah, and, I basically and, went hunting through Bootstrap going, I want something that will work for this. And I just went through every bootstrap thing scrolling down looking for a picture that my brain went oh that could work and then when i found these i was like oh my god how have i never seen these before and yeah, then i realized very, very pretty now it says 4.4 at the top of the page and i'm convinced the last time i was on the documentation it said 4.3 so obviously we've we've had a recent upgrade yeah now one other thing there's a a very weird effect I, i'm still i'm still messing with the bootstrap grid i will mm -hmm. conquer it um but a very weird effect happens on mine that I just have checkboxes. If depending on how long the name of the country is, whether mm. it wraps to two lines or three when it's on the phone, changes whether it looks like a checkbox or whether it suddenly looks like a radio button. It renders it incorrectly. Like it doesn't have enough room to draw the box, so it draws a radio button instead, which is the wrong representation. And that really I... surprised me. I um I have no idea what's going on there. That's extremely yeah. unusual. Seemed like um, a seemed like a bad choice of UI change. Don't show me anything. Don't show me a button that means something completely different, right? It sounds like some sort of strange bug. I, I'm not sure what's going on there. That doesn't sound like it's by design. No, no, it doesn't. Um I'll I'll take a screenshot of it. I mean, the thing is, my code is wrong. Because it's drawing it really badly, but uh, but it's it's not entirely my fault. It's not as bad as I made it. 
Yeah, it still sounds like something strange going on. There's definitely some sort of weird side effect going on. Bootstrap is very sensitive to, you know, classes being just one tag from where they should be or something. Bootstrap mm. is very picky that you, you you know, this must be in this, must be in this. It, it, it's, yeah, you need to, sometimes yeah, it takes a lot of... It's real picky with me right now. It's being real picky, but I'm going to, yeah. I will conquer it. Sometimes it's a, you got to go right back. So if you're jumping around the documentation and you're only jumping to the bit you care about, you may be missing vital information in the bit you thought you didn't care about higher up. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm a hundred percent certain you're right. And forms are particularly bad for that because it's such a long page. Like when you go to the form page in the Bootstrap docs, it's the scroll bar is tiny. And yeah, so you're just like, really, oh, I'll just get to the part I care about. You yeah. miss the overarching. Did you remember to put it in a container or something like that? Yeah, right? it literally, and it can come down to that. And if you fail to do just that one thing, like four levels up in the in the in the structure, that could break everything further down. Yeah, it's it, like I say it gets picky if it's missing one of its classes because yeah. basically what's happened is half of the css that's supposed to make it work doesn't exist it's strange that makes it cranky um <laughs> the other thing i should say is i also made heavy use of mustache templates for rendering my ui of so, course naturally because i now that we've learned about mustache i don't use jquery to build up the HTML elements one by one like we used to do, which just took line upon line upon line of code. Now we just write the HTML with some curly brackets in it. Hey, presto. I've, I've actually started to really love mustache templates. I think this Excellent. exercise really got me to, I, I ended up doing three or four of them. And by the time I got down to the third one, I was like, oh, I know how to do this. Bam, 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 bam. And that felt, that was that practice you're always talking about. So that made it even more fun. Excellent. Well, so that's, uh, do you have any other questions about the approach I took to to, to my solution? Yeah, so Bart and I uh, talked about this a little bit beforehand. Um, the part of the solution that you did was uh, you've got these beautiful, are they favicons for the, for the currency type? Yes, they are. Uh, they are font. Well, there's a couple of things going font on. Awesome. So there's font awesome. Glyphicons are used, actually, which is why they render so nicely. Right. And there weren't as many of those as there were countries in the exchange rate, correct? That is exactly correct. So <laughs> exchange rates API.io returns more currencies than my UI shows because I couldn't get pretty symbols for some of them. <laughs> so I am extremely proud of something I did. And uh, you told us that ISO 4217 had the country names and the currency codes. Yes. So I created a, a view by by mashing together the ISO 4217 data with the exchange rate uh, exchange rate API.io data. So that data didn't have the country names mm -hmm. and the 40 ISO 4217 didn't have the, the currencies, but I was able to mash them together and make one set of data that had all three pieces of information, the name, the country code, and the currency. And so I was able to do all 34 countries and uh, and splat it all on screen. It is not nearly as pretty. It doesn't have the little fun, awesome stuff, but it's actually pretty functional. It looks pretty good, I think. And I was very proud of the fact that I did not hard code in a single country name, country code or currency. Nothing's hard coded. Well, from a program design point of view, you have you have done much better programming. So you actually extended the exercise and made it into a, an, an even more real world sort of a thing because marrying different data sources is something, well, okay, with my professional hat on, that is pretty much what I'm paid to do. 
is to take different pieces of information from different places that all contain bits of what we want and bring them together in some sort of sane and sensible way. I think that is, if you want an abstract version of my job, to a very large extent, that is my job, which is why I do why remember I in love... my job many years ago saying to people, well, you've got this stuff in this database and this stuff in that database, put them together. <laughs> you're, you're left out my favorite word in the English language, the word just. Just, sorry. <laughs> yes, I'm sure I said just. I'm no doubt I said that. And I think I was beaten to a pulp when I said that to somebody once. Uh, we have a but, thing in the office where it, we haven't come across it in re- in years in recent times because it's not a meme anymore. But every time someone would say, "Oh, just put it on the web," we would. <laughs> that was like our trigger phrase because everyone thought you just you know copied and pasted it and now it's on the web. Oh yeah, just put that on the web. Just. Oh, nice. I like it. I like it. Um, I do have to say that I, I I'd be curious someday for you to go through my code and see whether I took extra steps I didn't need to because I sort of felt like I took this data and it was in an array and then I moved it into an object and then I had to stick it in another thing. So I had to turn it into an array and then turn it into an object. And then I turn it away and then I put them back together and then it was an object again. So I'm pretty sure some of this stuff goes back and forth like five times and it didn't actually need to. But when I got done and it worked, I stopped. Maybe, maybe, but. I will tell you that one of my favorite things to do is to take data and transform it into a lookup table that's indexed by what I care about. Right. And once you have it as a lookup table, then you can build the various views and stuff you want. So I will very often start off by making lots and lots of what you could argue are copies of the data, but they're just differently organized. And that way I can access them however I need to. It's like a, a, a recent example on some real world code I was working on. Um, I got a CSV file and I needed to be able to query it by email address, by lowercase email address, by first name, by last name, by username, by Mm. student number. And I basically made lookup tables so that one CSV file became 10 variables or whatever, one for everything I wanted to be able to search on. Okay. All right. Well, maybe I did it exactly right then. Yeah. I mean, that that is the magic of... Uh, lookup tables are just amazing for re- restructuring data into the form you need. So no, I, I wouldn't assume you did it wrong. I, I wouldn't. Okay. okay, so what we are going to talk about today, and we're going to use my sample solution to illustrate. So whenever I give examples to run in the console, it's the console on my sample solution. Okay, so on the gethack.com site there? Or if you download the zip, you know, you run on your own local map or whatever. Um, in fact, you just run in the browser, it'll work because it's all in one file. Okay. Um, so yeah, either the downloaded copy or the, the online copy, whatever whatever is most convenient. But what we want to talk about today is HTML documents, HTML tags, and DOM objects and jQuery objects, really. So let's start with um, sort of, if you want to make web apps, what you need to do is write code that alters the structure of web pages, right? A web app is just a web page that reorganizes itself all the time. Every time you, you do something, it changes. Well, that, that change is altering the structure of the page. So we need to actually understand how the page is held together. And this comes down to different views of the same abstract concept. So the abstract concept is how the browser actually thinks about the things it's showing. And that's defined in the HTML5 specification. So the browser thinks of things in terms of elements which are nested inside each other, and those elements have attributes. And then we actually have two views of that reality that the browser maintains. 
And one of those views is HTML. And so HTML represents every element using an HTML tag. And every attribute is a you know name equals value pair inside those HTML tags. So that's the HTML view of the reality in the browser. And JavaScript has a completely different view of the same reality. And that hmm. view is called the document object model, or DOM for short. So every element that the browser knows about is represented in the DOM as an object. And those objects contain other objects, and you have the same nested structure. So the HTML is a view of reality, and the DOM is another view of the same reality. But ultimately, neither of those are reality. They're just views of reality. The browser's internal state is the actual reality. Does that make any sense? <laughs> a little bit. It's, uh, it's kind of meta, but I think I'm following you. Yeah, so it's basically the same world is viewed through two different lenses. Sure. Um, and we, as web app programmers, actually have to become fluent in jumping from lens to lens, from view to view, from point of view to point of view. So we need to be able to work in both. Now, absolutely positively, everything you can do... Actually, no, before I go into that, I want to actually get some terminology straight. So the HTML spec uses the word element. So you will notice that throughout my show notes, I like to talk about elements because I don't like to say tag because the tag really only exists in HTML. So an element is like the most generic word. Um, DOM element is how the jQuery documentation talks about it. So that's synonymous. But most people on the web just say tag. So they, when they say tag, they, they sort of mean element. Okay. Um, I think I remember us going through that point where we started with tags and then you started saying elements. But elements makes it more generic, so it applies to JavaScript as well, or to the DOM elements. Yeah. So, well, the official JavaScript naming of functions also uses the word element because that's what's in the JavaScript spec. So the JavaScript native DOM function is document.getElementById is an example of one of those native functions. So they use oh, the word right, element right. too. And the jQuery documentation talks about DOM elements. So again, you know, we're staying with the same nomenclature. So I do kind of like to stick with what the documentation uses, because that way, when you Google for stuff, you're more likely to find it. But I should say that you have synonyms you're likely to come across when you're looking at other people's writing. So with the HTML hat on, it's either element or tag. And with the JavaScript hat on, it's element, DOM object, Dumb element, or one that may catch you by surprise, node. Uh. Because you can describe nested objects as a tree with nodes, or, you know, so graph theory kind of applies. So node is also used, that's a synonym for an element in, a, in, a, in the document object model. Hmm. Okay. You won't find me using it, but, you know, when, okay, as you're good. Googling, as you're looking on... SourceForge, or, you know, not SourceForge, um, ah, Stack Overflow, as you're, you know, you may find people using those words. Okay. So there is nothing, right? jQuery is not magic, right? jQuery, there is nothing jQuery can do that you couldn't do using only pure JavaScript using the native DOM functions. The thing is... You could also build a skyscraper with nothing but a trowel. It's not <laughs> pleasant. 
And historically, there were two really big pain points. There were these weird discrepancies between browsers. Now, they've mostly gone away, thank goodness. But there's also the fact that jQuery is just designed to make the common tasks easier to do. And jQuery is really designed around making the code short. So you can do a lot with very little typing with jQuery. And for those two reasons, I always use jQuery. So jQuery isn't replacing the native DOM. jQuery is using it, but you ask jQuery to ask the DOM to do things. Okay. Well, so I do notice when I'm searching, I often see that get element by ID, but we don't use that terminology in jQuery, right? We don't. So, so document is the actual, document is a special variable that exists within browsers and document is actually the DOM. That is the object that holds the entire DOM and it's named document. So that is the DOM. So document.getElementById is a function provided by the DOM. Okay. And there's more of them. There's document.getElementById.classes. There's a whole raft of them. But they're all long and they're not as powerful as the jQuery ones, which let us, like the dollar function can do so many things and it's got a one name function. Like a one, sorry, a one letter function name, dollar. Yeah, you know, I, I, I get lulled into thinking that's just syntax. You know, like I got to put quotes around this. I got to put a dollar in front of it. I, I very often forget that that is a function I'm invoking. It is a function you're invoking and it is the name of that function is dollar symbol. It could be called boogers, but it's not. It's called dollar. Because that's shorter. Because it's shorter. Exactly. <laughs> and jQuery loves being shorter. So a jQuery object doesn't replace a DOM object, it enhances it. So I like to think of it as being Iron Man's suit, right? Inside the suit, it's just a plain old man. Bit of an obnoxious one, actually. Um, So a jQuery object actually contains zero or more DOM objects, that it just keeps them in an array-like structure. So every jQuery object is just a collection of DOM objects. But it provides lots of functions for manipulating those DOM objects. Um, jQuery is designed to work on many things at the same time. So it's massively parallel by design. So if you use the dollar function to get a jQuery object that represents every single paragraph on a page, and then you use jQuery's CSS function to make them all blue, well, you just say, you know, dollar open bracket, open parens, open quote, P, close quote, close parens, dot CSS, color, comma, blue, all the paragraphs turn blue because jQuery functions are designed to work on all the DOM objects represented by the jQuery object. Right. So it's massively parallel. I know we've said this before, I and mean, maybe I'm over, I'm overstating no, no, the obvious. No, 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 we haven't said it in a long time. Okay, good. No, I wasn't sure if, if, if I was going too fast, too slow, or, you know. No, I just uh, hadn't thought of something clever to say other than, uh-huh. <laughs> ah, okay. So I, it's very important to bear in mind that jQuery objects are designed to be parallel. That, that's very important. Okay. Um, the other thing to say is that, so we've been talking about things wearing multiple hats. jQuery, in order to make its code short, makes the dollar function, or the... the dollar variable, actually. It's actually an object. Like, everything's an object. Um, It actually makes it wear two hats. So dollar is both a function and a prototype, or a class, depending on which term you prefer to use. 
And 99.999% of the time we use it as a function. So we say dollar open parens. But every now and then we use it as a prototype because we say dollar dot ajax. We don't say dollar open parens. We say dollar dot ajax. Oh. So that means the dollar is playing the role of a class. And ajax is a static function belonging to the dollar class. Which makes it a prototype. Class prototype interchangeable, yes. Okay, not the kind of class like when we say class equals... Oh yeah, exactly uh, that kind of class. Because I I haven't finished yet. Let me finish before you say this this kind. If I say class equals call, you don't mean that kind of class. Oh no, not CSS. No, no, sorry. Uh, When we did JavaScript, we did the JavaScript keyword class. Okay. That's the hat I'm keeping for last on our object reader. Okay. The biggest hat of all. I don't know, like a giant big top hat or something. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, I I just, you know, so the dollar function, even the dollar function is being a function and it's being a prototype at the same time. So 99% of the time we use it as a function, but every now and then you'll see dollar dot something and then it's like, oh, hang on, you're not being a function. There's no parens there. You're being something else. And indeed Hmm. it is. Hmm. So that jQuery, that dollar function, It can do a lot. So its first job in life is to select elements within a document. So to search some or all of a document and find things you want and collect them into an object for you to then manipulate. So the first step to manipulating something with jQuery is to get it. And the most common use of the dollar function then is you pass it as its first argument, a string, which is a CSS selector. And so jQuery searches the DOM using the same rules that CSS uses. And the reason for that is because web developers know CSS. Hmm, okay. So basically you're getting a freebie. If you know how to make it all turn blue, then you know how to select it with jQuery because it's the same selector. Okay. So we learned about, you know, anything that's a class is dot, whatever the name of the class is. Anything that's an ID is octothorpe or pound or whatever we're calling it today. And then the name of the ID, anything that's just a tag is just a tag. So to make all, just, you know, in CSS to address all paragraphs, you just say P. Well, in jQuery, you just say P and you get all the mm-hmm. paragraphs. You know, if you want right. paragraphs with the class boogers, P dot boogers, so on and so forth. So all our knowledge comes along for free. So... If we wanted, say, in our JavaScript console to get every card element on my page, you could say dollar open parens open quote dot card close quote close parens, and that will return you a jQuery object representing all the cards on the page. Hmm. So you can do that now, and then you should get back. I think it's five by default. Uh, I missed exactly what you said. Dollar uh, dollar open parentheses quote card, and then what? So just. Just that. So just the string dot card as the only argument of the oh, dollar dot function. Card. That's what it was. I missed the dot. So that's things with the class card. Oh, is anything with the class card? There's Actually, a variable named K, isn't there? Hmm? I got a I got an object that says K and there's eighteen things in it. Yeah, so that is your that is actually your your jQuery object there that's come back with all of the cards mm-hmm. on the table at the moment. Or all of the cards that exist in the document. Okay, which may or may not be visible in your case. Yeah, loads of them are hidden. Because yeah, hmm. I, I did okay. a lot of hiding. Um, the other thing we can do, so by default, 
we search the entire document. We don't have to search everything. We can limit our search by passing a second argument, which is another jQuery object. And that means search that jQuery object for this CSS selector. So in, in my actual sample solution, you will find the line to figure out what currency is currently selected in that uh, add currency card form. Right, so there's there's a select there that's a multi row a multi row select, and I need to figure out which one the user currently has selected so that when you click the button, the right currency card appears. Hmm. And so to do okay. that, I use the dollar function. Now, because I'm using that form a lot, I stuck it in a variable called dollar form. And so when I want to get the select that's in that form, I can just pass as the first argument the CSS selector select, which means give me every select tag and then comma but only in that form so i get this is where i get tangled not Mm -hmm. under it's not the concept but i get lost with the syntax so i couldn't say dollar uh open parentheses open quote card i had to say dot card that's because i was trying to get a class but now we're trying to find selects those are those are uh uh, wait a minute. Tag names. The right word. Uh, don't tell me. Don't tell me. Those are tags. Yeah. And so it doesn't get the dot. Correct. Can't remember so, that for the life of me. It's funny because that's the simplest CSS selector there is. Right. The, the yeah, easiest but, CSS selector is name of tag. Right. But we do the dot card kind of thing a lot. We do indeed because usually we're not. Usually we're not trying to paint with quite such a broad brush. Yeah. So I haven't had a lot of practice with that. Yeah, I guess. And actually, okay, and there's a second reason, Alison. If Hmm. we weren't using Bootstrap, we would have to style everything from scratch, and we Ah. would have lots of CSS statements saying how a paragraph should look. But we don't have to do... you made me, Bart. That's it, exactly, actually, yeah, because um, Bootstrap takes care of so much that all we have to do is the classes then, right? We just give it a class, and Bootstrap does all the magic. Yeah. Yeah, so the simplest CSS selector in the world is just name of tag. So in this case, select tag, please. Inside that form. So I'm looking at your code. Uh, what should I be able to say? I should be able to say, find the selects, comma, dollar form? Yeah. Well, no, okay, uh, so that you can't just copy and paste that. That's a snippet from within a function. Oh. So the variable dollar form just exists within that function. That's it's an actual oh, real okay. world. Oh, okay, so I, I don't get to play with this one. All right. No, no. So okay. it's the kind of thing you would want to do sometimes is limit my search to something I already know, right? So I already yeah. know the form. I want to limit my search there. So there we go. Hey, presto. Okay. So you could have other uh, other things, other variable names than dollar form and uh, and find the select, the ones that are selected in those. You could have a separate select. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. Or if I left that out, I would be searching the entire document. And that's probably not what I want because there may be, you know, in theory, I could expand this later to add some extra functionality. And then all of a sudden my code would break if I'm too generic. Yeah. Okay. The it. next thing the next thing jQuery lets us do is test things because it's often good to just figure out what something is. And jQuery's function for that is called is. And it takes as an argument a CSS selector and it returns true or false. So in other words, you have something in jQuery and you want to know is this a paragraph? Well, then you would say dot is p or is this a card? Then you'd say dot is dot card. Or hmm. the CSS pseudo classes are very useful here. So there's a pseudo class colon hidden, 
So in my code, I need to know whether or not a particular currency is currently hidden or not, because if it's currently hidden, then it should be available in that menu for adding cards. And if it's not hidden, it should be disabled so that you can't add two euros. Yeah, for those people listening uh, alone, uh, he's got a section that says add currency card and a bunch of them are are dark, if you will. And some of them look yeah. gray. And the gray ones are the ones you're not using right now. So those are the hidden ones, right? They're the ones that you have open already, so you can't open again because they are open. Oh, so they, oh, that's kind of weird. So the hidden ones are the ones that are black and the grayed out ones are the ones that aren't hidden. Yeah, so the ones that are available right. to you to add are there yeah. enabled. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's really all there is to dot is, right? It just tells you yes or no, and you can ask it any question that you can express in CSS. You know, if you can say is it in CSS... Related- that- Is that related to the way you can say, is this an array? Not really, because there's no such thing as an array in CSS. Okay. Right? Yeah, we're kind of jumping around in CSS and jQuery and stuff back up. Okay, but jQuery is all about interacting with the document object model, interacting with the actual elements that make up a web page. So an element isn't an array, right? An element is a visible thing on the page, so it... Okay, but when I when I tried to use the uh, classes in CSS, you said no, no, we're not talking about about CSS. So I got confused. Well, that was okay. I <laughs> I guess I we are, but we aren't. We weren't right that second. We weren't that second. That second, we were talking about the different hats the dollar the dollar thing wears. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but jQuery's job in life is to interact with the page. So for all the rest of this episode, when I say class, I mean CSS. Okay. All right. Good. Just so, try to keep up. Yeah, no, absolutely. So we can select things using the dollar function. We can test things using dot is. So the next thing, once we've selected them and figured out what they currently are, we obviously want to change them, right? That's how a web page comes to life. We change it. Mm-hmm. So there's loads of functions for changing it, but as a general, you know, the most important ones we've come across are dot atter, which allows us to edit the value of an attribute. So if you have an image tag. It has an attribute S or C, which says where the file is, and it has an attribute alt, which is the alt text. And so you could use dot atter to change the image or to change the alt text. Then there's also a function called dot prop, which is for altering properties of things. And properties generally only apply to form elements, and they're things like whether or not something is disabled. So in that list, the grayed out entries have the property disabled true. And you can okay. change that to disabled false, and then they become enabled. And I, you would use dot prop to do that? You would use dot prop. So dot adder for editing the attributes and dot prop for editing a property. That, that's where the names come from. Okay, so w- one more time, what's the difference between an attribute and a property? An attribute is what you're going to write like, so img src equals x, alt equals y. They're your attributes. And a property is something which is changing over time as you interact with the page. So uh, and the property is something about the, mm-hmm. um, the attribute. It's something about the element. The element, okay. So an element has attributes, and some elements have properties, very few of them, to be honest. And they're actually hidden as a property, so I argue they all do. Yeah. <laughs> the line between attributes and properties is vague. And we, we ran into this. Basically, if you're not sure if something's a property or an attribute, you go to Google and you say, is hidden a property or an attribute in jQuery? And it will tell you. 
<laughs> okay. It's um, not just me that has trouble with that. No, the most common one to use is disabled, which is a property. Actually, okay. okay. The two properties, I, there's three properties I use regularly. Disabled, checked, and selected. Yeah, okay. That makes sense. And I don't know if I ever use any other properties than those three. Pretty much everything else is an attribute. Okay. Sounds good. Um, there's lots and lots more, right? So I don't want to... Um, I don't want to sort of we're not trying to redo the docs so dot prop and dot adder both are the same function can either read or write so if you want to read whether or not something is you know if you want to read the current source of an image you just pass one argument the name of the attribute you want or if you just want to see the state of a property you just pass one argument the name of the property you want so if you want to see if something is disabled, you would say dot prop disabled as the only argument, and then you're going to get back true or false. If you want to change it, you give a second argument, the new value. So if you open up the sample solution, you'll find a function named update add card select options, because I use really descriptive names because someone told me that was good. <laughs> um... I'm looking for where you've... Okay, well, the, the only bit of the code I want you to look at is copied and pasted into the show notes, but it's in that function if you care. Uh, so that function's job is to change the disabled state of each of these depending on... Based, sorry. The job of... The, the, this bit of code is inside a loop, and its job is... Okay, so I'll show you it in action before we look at the code. So okay. pick a f scroll down and pick a currency somewhere on the list, like, say, New Zealand dollar or something. All right. In the add currency card? Yeah. And then when you click add currency, the dollar appears, but something else happens too. You don't um, end up with the disabled item selected. The first available item has just become selected. I don't get the distinction. Okay. By default, when you click the add button, the selection should not change, right? I'm changing. Oh, you, oh you, you didn't tell me to add it. Okay, I just selected it. Okay. Yeah, okay. So once you click add, two things happen. The currency appears, and there's now a new selection in that select. Yes. It's popped back up to Australian dollar, you mean? If that's the first available one, it will have popped up there. But if Australian okay. dollar was already available, it would have gone to the next. So it keeps going until gotcha. it finds one it can rest on. Okay. All right. Makes so sense. This, the snippet of code I want to draw your attention to that uses dot prop is inside a loop that starts at the top of that select and works its way down. And it says, if not, $opt.prop disabled. So in other words, I am calling prop with one argument. So I'm going to get back true or false. Oh, okay. So you're saying if it's not disabled. Then I can select it. And the way you're going to select it is by changing the property selected to true. Exactly. So the very next line is $prop selected comma true. That makes perfect sense. You're drawing mm -hmm. me into your madness. So that's the example of one argument means tell me, two arguments means no, no, I'm telling you. Yeah. Okay. And then we, we exit the loop at that point, right? So once you've selected, once you've managed to select one, exit the loop. That's what the break statement does, which is commented. 
Okay, so the next thing you can do with jQuery is you can navigate the DOM. And this is our perfect excuse for reminding ourselves how the DOM works, because there's a nomenclature. So to talk about the nomenclature, I have put in the co- in the show notes here a very, very, very simple HTML page. In fact, it's just the body of a very, very simple HTML page. So it has a header that contains an H1. It has a main that contains two sections. The first section has another header, a paragraph, and a list with two items. And the second section has a header and two paragraphs. And that's the entire document. Okay. But that gives us enough to describe how the different tags or elements are talked about. So jQuery uses the same language when naming its functions than you will find used all over the place when describing HTML documents. And there's two metaphors in use. Um, there's a directional metaphor, and then there's a, so we'll do that one first, and then there's another metaphor. So one way that these things are described is that the body tag is described as both the top of the DOM and the root of the DOM, which is, to me, highly counterintuitive <laughs> because I've yet to come across a tree where the roots are at the top. <laughs> How and ever, uh, that is how I, we talk about it. I think in the movie Avatar, maybe there was one. <laughs> there might have been, yeah. So you'll hear people talk about the root of the DOM, and they mean the top. And after that, everything follows. So the top is the body tag. And then if you're moving more down... So basically, you talk about moving down into the DOM. Mm-hmm. So the header is down from the body. The H1 is down from the header. The list items are down from the UL or down from the section or down from the main or down from the body. So the deeper into the nesting you go, we use uh-huh. words like down and deep. And the closer okay. to the top you get, so the closer to the body tag, we talk about being higher and heading up the dot. So so in your tiny little example, your header and your main are not down or up with respect to each other. They're at the same level? Correct. Okay. Yes, they're peers of each other, exactly. And then okay. you would say that you, know, you from the main, you go down to the section and down to the UL and down to the LI. That makes sense. And from the LI, you go up, 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 up. And I'm so sorry, when but that, that root and top thing doesn't bother me at all. Okay, it bothers the bejesus out of me. <laughs> <laughs> the good news is everyone agrees on what's up and down. It's just that word okay. root is weird. So okay. when you're reading the jQuery documentation, they will talk about going up or down to DOM. Oh, okay. Because there's search functions for searching in both directions. So you're somewhere. Sometimes you want to know the tags that contain me. I want to get something about them. And sometimes you want to go the other way. And so there's a jQuery provides functions for going both directions. But to know which one is which, you have to be able to read the docs and know which is up and which is down. Oh. Because otherwise it's no good. Okay. And as you're reading results on, you know, Stack Overflow, higher and lower, up and down, right? It's all these directions. And so it's important that you know which direction they mean. So the body's the top and it's all the way, it's downhill from there. Okay. The second metaphor is a, I call it the familial metaphor. So we say that when one tag contains another, it's the parent of the tag it contains. So the body is the parent of the header. The body is the parent of the main. The header is the parent of an H1. The main is the parent of two sections. Okay. 
The Makes UL sense. is a parent of LIs. Yeah. Um, two tags at the same level we describe as being siblings of each other. And we also say that, say, the UL has two children, the two LIs. So children and parent are the same relationship, but from the other point of view. So the UL has two children. The LIs have one parent. That makes sense. And then we also talk, so parent and child means one level, right? So the UL is the parent of LI. The body is not the parent of the UL, but it is an ancestor of the UL. So it's like a great-great-grandfather, but we don't bother with that. So we talk about ancestors. Okay. And then the other way, we can say that the LI is a descendant of Maine. Because it's the LI is a child of UL, is a child of section, is a child of Maine. Okay. And so this one works really well for people because we all have families. <laughs> right? And the words are exactly as you would expect. So we talk about descendants and ancestors. We talk about we children and parents and siblings. Okay. And therefore, that metaphor you'll also find in a lot of online resources, and I hope that makes sense. Yeah, it does. The and nothing's point... backwards like the root up thing. Exactly. Now, there's one annoying fly in this ointment. No. It's not difficult. It's just one to watch out for, so I'm just flagging it. Wait a minute. Parent... It's just like in any, fl- in, in any family, there's one fly in the ointment. That, yes, actually. That's <laughs> Every family's got one, and if you don't know who it is... It's you. <laughs> so the word parent always means exactly one higher. But when you when it's pluralized, what the developer usually means is all the ancestors. Okay, so everything above uh the LI here, the Would UL be the parents. section main and body are called parents. Yes, by some people. I don't like that very loose use because parent yeah. means one, but parents means like your parent, your grandparent, your great, great grandparent. I don't like that usage, but it's very common. Okay. And so I'm flagging it so that you understand. So and we shouldn't use it ourselves, but if we find it, we know what it means. Bingo. So the really nice thing is that jQuery just takes these and puts them as actual functions. There are jQuery functions dot children dot parent. And annoyingly, dot parents. Okay, so for when you want to select everything above the yeah. uh, li, you could say dot parents. Yeah. Now, dot parents mm. can actually take as an argument, which you can read in the docs. It can take as an argument a CSS selector, so you can actually pick and choose which of your parents you care about. Hmm. Okay. Which can be very convenient because if you're contained within a card, but you're not sure how deep you are within the card, you can just say, "Oh, give me all my parents that are cards." All right. And it doesn't matter if you're inside an LI inside something else. You, you know, you just jump I mean, to the It sounds like one. a useful function, just poorly named. It's an excruciatingly useful function. Now, most of them are really well named, but for some reason, someone over at the jQuery people had a bad day or something. They're not all well named. They're all well documented. So you can read the docs to know what's going on. But the one that gets me every time, I always have to RTFM. I never remember this is dot closest. Hmm. The idea is you start at a tag and you search for the nearest tag to you matching a certain CSS selector. But the thing is, it only goes in one direction and I can't tell from that name which direction it is. Oh, yeah. Is it, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a wild guess and say it's up. 
you're correct. You had a 50-50 chance, but you're yeah, correct. It's hope. I got lucky. And the reason I know this is because, quoted from the documentation here in the show notes, get the first element that matches the selector by testing the element itself and traversing up through its ancestors in the DOM tree. So there's okay. all of our words coming together in the jQuery documentation. Up through its ancestors in the DOM tree, which is closer to the root. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it didn't use the word root, but yes, there we go. That, that would have been all of them. So in the sample solution, all of those checkboxes, you see the ones like for all the different currencies, mm-hmm. they all have this nice blue border around them when they're selected that comes and goes as you select or unselect. Now that's, oh, that's not okay. normal functionality. They also turn bold when you select them. Okay. That's done by the event handler for clicking on the toggles. And what it needs to do, so each of those is actually a toggle inside a list item. And it's the list item that gets the border, and it's the list item that gets the property class text-bold, or font-weight-bold. So oh, that's really slick, Bart. And that's all done in the click function? It's all done in the click handler, and the click handler says $toggle.closestLI. So it searches up oh. the DOM until it meets the first LI. So even if this was a list inside a list inside a list, it would only go to the first one and then stop. And then it applies its rules for making it bold and blue, which in this case is add class uh, tech or border dash primary and add class font dash weight dash bold and hey presto. But it's toggle.closest is doing the magic. That's cool. There we go. I did not understand what you were talking about using your sample homework to do this. And now it's, yeah, I totally see what you're doing. This is really working. Excellent. So the next thing you can do with jQuery, so, so far we have found things and altered them, which is great. But sometimes you need to make new things from whole cloth and jQuery can do that. So um, it does that again with the dollar function. But this time you pass the dollar function, not a CSS selector, but some HTML as a string. And then it will just build new objects, new DOM objects from that HTML. And it will create them, but they won't be in the document. So they will be, when we did this first, I describe it as being in limbo. They exist, but aren't visible anywhere because no one's actually hung them on the DOM. So they're just a variable. Now Mm. that's very useful because it means that you can alter them before anyone sees them. So in my code, I told you that each card actually has a row for every single possible currency, but you only see the ones I want you to see. So when my mustache template spits out the HTML for the card, it has an LI for every possible currency. But before I take that card I've just made and put it into the DOM where people can see it, I actually hide all the rows that should be hidden. And then I insert it into the DOM. Hmm. So by the time it arrives, I have had time to massage it into the shape I want. So it's very convenient that at the point you make something, it's not in the document yet. You still have time to tweak it, add to it, alter it using all the normal jQuery functions. And then when you're finished, then you inject it into the DOM somewhere. And is that the mustache render? So the right, so the mustache render is going to make some HTML. So in my sample code, and I've put a snippet of it here, which is from my show currency card function, 
And I've just noticed I forgot to set the type equals HTML on that. So it's syntax isn't marked up, but all right, I'll we'll, we'll write fumble that down through here. and I'll fix it before we publish. So because I'm writing this for you, I've actually broke it into two steps. So if I was doing this in the real world, I would put the mustache render straight into line five of that snippet. But to show you what's going on, I've commented it separately. So the first thing I do is I make some HTML. So const card HTML becomes equal to mustache.render my template and my view. Mm -hmm. Then I take that HTML and I give it to the dollar function to turn it into a jQuery object. So I say const dollar card becomes equal to dollar card HTML. So we Why have do now... you do that? Okay, so line two, we have a string. Line five, we have a DOM object. Well, you've got a jQuery object. We have a jQuery object which contains inside it a DOM object. So it's a DOM object plus superpowers, but it is also a DOM object, remember. So const card HTML is not a DOM object? It is a string. It is a sequence of characters. Right. Hmm. But putting the dollar in front of it makes it a DOM object. It's, we're not putting the dollar in front of it. We are passing as an argument to the dollar uh, function a string. And the dollar Didn't function, I tell you I always forget that? <laughs> I know. I that's why, I, that's why I'm being so very pedantic, pedantic about it. Yeah, yeah. No, the, please do. Um, so we're passing the card H HTML string, which mm -hmm. is this rendered mustache template, which is just a bunch of HTML. And mm -hmm. we're passing it to the dollar function, which does... It turns it into an actual DOM object and then gives it superpowers. Okay. I know you've explained it at length in this episode, but I don't get the distinction between it's a DOM okay. object or it's a jQuery object. So from the browser's point of view, it's either a string of text or a thing I can show people. Okay. JavaScript strings are just characters. They're just open, open angle bracket, the letter H, the letter T, the letter M. Okay. They're not, right? Or say open angle bracket, the letter P, close angle bracket. A paragraph is a thing that can be put onto the page and shown to the user. The paragraph okay. is a DOM object with or without the jQuery superpowers. The string is just one character, then another character, then another character. All right. right you, can't put, you can't show a string. You have to turn it into an actual thing for the browser to render. Remember, hmm, I'm not really sure how I can say that. It's the difference between a bag of bolts and a car. <laughs> well, so I don't think or I a blueprint and my, a car. I don't think I passed my rendered HTML. I must. I must you have must. done that. You must have done that, Alison. You must have okay. copied and pasted it and done that because otherwise, it's it not. You up. can't see it. It's okay, like a blueprint totally of a car versus a car, right? So the string is a blueprint for how it should build an actual thing to put on the page. Okay. Actually, that's a really good example. So the card HTML is a blueprint, and then the dollar function takes the blueprint and actually builds the card. Okay. So now we have the card sitting there in a variable called dollar card. So there's a bunch more code I snipped out because it does things I haven't told you about yet, and I don't want to confuse things. But one of the things I want to do before I actually make this card visible to the humans is make that close button actually do something. So it needs an event handler. So yes. I say... Using the dollar function again, I give it a CSS selector and then comma dollar card. So in other words, search inside my card for button.close. 
So in other words, a button tag with the class close inside my card. All right. And then add to that the click handler, which is basically just going to hide the card. By the way, my cards fade. Uh, Very pretty. I think mine fade too, because that's the default for hide. They they fade in half a second, though, which is very quick. Maybe. I don't know. No, they they, they do by default. (laughs) By default, well, no, they're not. It's not instantaneous. It's it's half a second by default, which is quite short. If you pass an argument to that hide, you can make it as many milliseconds as you like. So if you wanted a two second, you'd pass 2000. I just said fade. Fade will do it too. That'll give you a more subtle. um, Yeah, it is very pretty, actually. Um, Yeah, so there we go. One thing you've done here by um, creating all of the lines and, uh, you know, all of the currencies and not showing them until uh, they're done, Mm -hmm. uh, until it's called, the card is called, is you're not, you're not giving the user the choice of which things to show, which currencies to show. Uh, It's a design choice. Mine, mine, every card can be a different set of, uh, a different set of currencies shown. So one can have three, one can have seven, one can have 34. So I couldn't think of a way to do that without having that giant big list of checkboxes for every card. And that yep, just got a like... giant big list of ugly, ugly checkboxes, sorry. <laughs> yeah, see, that's, I, I, didn't, I couldn't find a way to, like, that is obviously more powerful, but I couldn't find a way to do it that wouldn't be more user confusing. So I decided not to. Yeah. And I still haven't figured out a UI that would work. There must be one. Someone who's a better designer than both of us can almost certainly p- figure one out, but I don't know it. Um, if I can just get mine into three columns instead of two, it'll, I'm going to consider it a major victory of the month. <laughs> <laughs> so once we, we now have, right, at this point in time, we've now made a card, but it's still sitting in limbo. So to actually insert it into the document, you actually have to tell the browser where to show it and jQuery does this relative to another jQuery object and therefore you're going to have some object dot and then one of four functions are at your disposal before after append and prepend so before means it would go as a sibling of so if you if you have say a div that you want to use if you say dot before, it won't go inside the div, it'll go in front of the div. Whereas if you say dot append, it will go inside the div at the back. And if you say prepend, it will go inside the div at the front. Right. So before and after and append and prepend are basically inside or outside and then front or back. Okay. So there are your four wait, options. Wait, really. wait. Say that again. So up, I know we've done a whole bunch of appending. I'm real good mm. at that append, and I think I can wrap my brain around prepend, but before and after does what again? Okay, so you're used to append, right? So you're going to say $SumID dot append. Uh-huh. That means it goes inside the thing you selected. If you do after, it will go after the thing with the ID. Ah, okay. So as a sibling of the thing with the ID instead of as a child. Okay. So append and prepend is children before and after is sibling. Okay. I almost never use before and after, but I'm sure they're useful. Convinced yeah. they must be, but I've <laughs> never used them. 
Then the other thing that we have to talk about is really important. An app responds to us doing things. In fact, an app doesn't do anything unless there's responding to something happening. So in browser land, something happening is called an event. And really, it's all about adding event listeners. So in jQuery speak, there is one function for adding event listeners that is universal. It is called dot on, and it takes two arguments, the name of the event and the callback to do when that event happens. There are also very, very convenient shortcuts named for the popular events. So in theory, you would say dot on, click, comma, and then your event handler. But you can't just say dot click because there's a shortcut. But dot on is really, dot on is universal, right? Every event that exists, dot on can be used. So dot on submit, dot on show. Yeah, I think show is even one, hide is one. So many events, they're they're all, if you go to uh, Mozilla, the MSDN and search for events, it will give you a list of every named event that exists. It's a long list. But really, most of the time we care about click, change, submit, and one or two of them. So so this is something I wish I knew a long time ago because I've looked at code and I see it say on click and then sometimes I just see it say click. And I've always wondered what the difference was between those. They're the same thing. They're the same thing expressed as either a shortcut or the long way. Okay. And when you first said this, you didn't say event handler, you said event listener. Are those synonyms? They are. Yes. Okay. Um, and then the opposite of on, so dot on is for telling something what to do when something happens. The opposite is saying, make that thing happen now. And the jQuery function for doing that is very well named. It's called trigger. So if you want to simulate someone clicking on something, you would say dot trigger click. And the shortcut functions do both jobs, right? So dot on allows you to say what to do when something will happen in the future, and dot trigger is make it now, do it, go. Right? Okay. Trigger is an active verb. Trigger is an active verb. So if you if you have a button on your page with an ID of my button, you could say dollar pound sign my button dot trigger click, and that is exactly the same as if the user had gone with their mouse and clicked on that button. You're just doing it programmatically. Okay. Now, the click shortcut can do both. So if you if you say dot click and you give it no arguments whatsoever, just dot click, that is the same as calling dot trigger click. If you say dot click and you give it an argument of a callback, that is the same as saying dot on click comma the callback. Right. So dot click does both jobs. The full version is either on or trigger. I just thought I was really good at guessing which was the right one. <laughs> like I said, I'll see it. I'll go, I'm going to try this one of those two choices. And, you know, the on click and click. It's because it was both were right. Both are right. Yeah, it's basically something you do a lot. jQuery likes to provide a little shortcut for. It's like all of our Ajax stuff can be done with dot Ajax, but there's shortcuts for dot get and dot post. Because they're common types of Ajax requests. It's actually just a wrapper around the Ajax function. Okay. Okay, so now we come to the thing that I really want to make sure that we cover today. Function chaining. This is a general concept in 
have JavaScript, and in fact, in many programming languages, but jQuery's API is designed to use function chaining to make for more efficient code. So jQuery's written their API to encourage this technique, which is way more generic than just jQuery. This is a generic technique, and lots of JavaScript APIs are built around the concept of facilitating this technique. And the technique exists in other programming languages too. So it's a very, very generic technique that we have met through our use of jQuery. That makes sense? Yes. Okay. So we're going to build this up slowly because it's important. So the JavaScript interpreter has to figure out when it's running a line of code, it can't do it all at once. It's not atomic. If there's more than one function call, or if there's more than one thing to figure out, it has to do them one after the other. And that really changes what's going on. So when you see a very simple line of code like const x becomes equal to math.round math.py, it actually, it sort of, it has to do multiple steps. So it can't immediately assign a value to x. It has to first figure out what to assign to x. So in effect, what it's doing is it takes const x becomes equal to math.round, figures out what math.round is, and it effectively transforms that line of code into const x becomes equal to three. And then it goes, ah, I know how to do that. And then const x actually becomes three. So it's a two-step process. So is is math.py, is it already doing a... Um, Arguably, that isn't was... Isn't that a, two functions, really? Well, no, math.py is a variable. No okay. parens. Okay, all right. So it can just get that value straight away. You could argue that I should have actually had a third step in there for 3.1415. Right, that's kind of what I was thinking is it's got to look, it's got to find that, it can't round it until it knows what it is. So it really has to see what math.py is first, then round it, and then it becomes equal to x? Yeah, or that's x it exactly. Or x equal to it? Okay. Yeah. And so that means that as you do more complex stuff, it actually has more work to do. So a slightly more complex one is const x becomes math.round, math.random star 100. Okay, well, we've got to first figure out what the math.random is. So we call that and we get back some random number multiplied by 100. So that becomes math.round. And when I did it, it was 32.30, blah, blah, blah. Then it has to round that. So then it becomes context becomes equal to 32. And only then can it actually assign the value to x. So this just sort of feels like, like doing uh, math with parentheses. Well, it's exactly what it is. You know, seven times parentheses three plus four. You don't get to do the seven times first. You got to do the three plus four first. Yeah. And so when you see a line of code, it has to be executed in order. Otherwise, it doesn't know how to do it. So in this case, it's easy to see what's going on because you have one function inside the arguments to another function. So it's very obvious who has to go first. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Function chaining, you don't nest them. Uh -oh. You put them after each other. But that's still the same process going on. But so, is it going to be left to right instead of right to left? No, it's not, thankfully. It's or the same left out? to right. So what's going on... So Okay, so the first thing is, how do I recognize a function chain? How do I know I'm looking at a function chain? And the answer is, you're going to see function name parens dot function name parens. And it's important that you always see those parenses. Now, they may have arguments between them, but it's an expelliarmus immediately followed by another expelliarmus separated by a dot. That means there is a function chain here. 
Now that you say it in your simple example, it looks obvious. Good. But it is going to be left to right, not right to left, like we were doing before. Uh, that's true, actually. See, I w- yeah, sorry, you're right. I don't, I'm dyslexic with directions. So, <laughs> you missed that so we haven't said the example. He's got math.random. Ah, okay, don't look at that example he's... yet. Oh. Okay, I need Sorry. to say some more English before you look at that example. Is okay, that... so function name one, parentheses, dot function name two, parentheses. You do function name first, function name one first, and then function name two second. Right, now, there's something very, very important here. A function chain can only work if function name one returns an object. Because function name two is going to be interpreted as a function belonging to the object you got back from the first function call. So if the first function doesn't spit out an object, the chain breaks with a JavaScript error. Right. So to prove this to you, const x becomes equal to math.random.round will break every time because what does math.random return? A random number. A number. Is a number an object? Oh, I don't know. Apparently no, it's not. one of it's one of only two things in JavaScript that aren't objects: booleans and booleans numbers. Booleans and numbers. Okay, but it needs so it needs to be a string, or, or an object. An ob- could be an array. It could be any anything else. It could be anything else. So how do you round a random number? Well, you would have to pa- You would have to do it the way we did it above. It, the function call would have to be inside the parentheses so that you're passing it as a as an argument. This is garbage. You're basically saying int dot round. That's nonsense. So, so let me let me try to understand this. So when we had math dot round parentheses math dot random, mm-hmm. that worked. So math dot yes. round doesn't have to have an object. It was able to take a number. And okay, not only is it able to, it must. That's why right. that worked, and this is garbage. But so when you function chain, it can only be objects. Yes, that is the point I'm trying to make. I don't like that. No, it doesn't work otherwise. That the right. Thank you. No, I believe like, you. I just don't like it. Uh, okay. Then the analogy I'd like you to keep in your mind is the pipe operator on the command line. Function Which chaining lets you take the output of one function and use it as the input to the next. Right, but it is logical that. Uh, math.random would make something that the function round would want. It makes a number and you round a number. Right, but round expects the number. If you read the documentation for round, it's math.round. So round only exists as a key value pair on the object math. So what you're saying there is... It wasn't math.round in your second example. I know. That's why it's garbage. So, can, but you can't do math.random, open close parentheses, dot math.round, open close parentheses no, either, you can't. can you? You can't, because the, if you read the documentation for math.round, it needs its number as its first argument. In other words, it needs its number. Oh, so it has to be inside the parentheses. I got you. All right. All right. I like that a little better. Yeah. So, it's very important to understand that when a function chain is either going to give you a comp- an error or it's object, 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 object. It's always objects. So oh, I'm really good at getting that. So I'm first, real good. That's a core competency right there, Bart. Yeah. But you need to read them from left to right and understand each function call before you can even begin to figure out what's going on. So let's walk through a very common example. And you can copy and paste this one into the terminal to, or into the JavaScript console to see what it does. So... 
it's dollar sign and then as a string p dot lead dot remove class lead dot add class alert space alert dash info. So if you copy and paste that and run it, what you'll see is the paragraph at the very top of the page stops being a paragraph and becomes an alert. Hmm. Right. Kinda I don't cool. know how to tell it's an alert because it doesn't have a dismiss or anything. But no, but it's 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 got the bootstrap class alert and alert dash oh, info. Okay. Okay. The, bo- the bootstrap class alert. All right. So how does this work? This is obviously a function chain. A name of function followed by parens dot name of function followed by parens dot name of function followed by parens. So three expelliarmuses in a row. Definitely a function chain. What's going on? Okay. We have to start at the front of the chain. So the question is, what does dollar passed as a CSS selector as a string? What does it return? The, it's going to be a string. No, no. What does no. it return? The dollar function returns jQuery objects. Yeah. So I what it returns is a jQuery object. Right. So we now have, this has now been replaced by a jQuery object that represents whatever it found. So we now have a jQuery object. And on that object, we call jQuery. That jQuery object, p.lead, is not an, a string? Okay, Peter, the string was passed as an argument to the dollar function. The dollar function has executed and had a return statement that returned a jQuery object. So that has now become a jQuery object. It has returned. But it's not a string? No, it's a... The dollar function returns jQuery objects. That's what it does. It took a string as an argument, so... A function is a black box that takes input and produces output. So the input was a string. The output is a jQuery object. That's what but the dollar function is. what kind of jQuery object is it? Is there only one kind? I mean... Yeah, maybe- a jQuery object. A jQuery object is an object of type jQuery. So object and jQuery object are not the same thing. Because a string is an object, right? <laughs> right. Object is a superset of... Everything that isn't a Boolean or or a number, right? So animal, everything's an animal. But yeah, no, you can you can stay with this. I don't need another analogy. But so object includes jQuery objects. Yes, it does. Okay, all right. So we took yes. p dot lead, and it's now a jQuery object because we passed it to the dollar function. So the dollar function has produced a jQuery object representing whatever it found matching that CSS selector. So we now have a jQuery object. So in our minds, this isn't, this function call has now happened. It is in the past and we now have a jQuery object. So that means we can call another jQuery function because we have a jQuery object. So the jQuery function we are calling is remove class lead. Now, what does remove class return? Um, that, that is the question. Got, well, it's got to be is, an object or this whole thing's not going to work. Correct. So jQuery has been written specifically, this was a choice made by the jQuery developers, that any function which doesn't need to return something specific will return the object it was called on. So it just passes itself through. So the same jQuery object is what spat out again. So what we have left now is the same jQuery object again, 
so we can call another function on it because we have the same object. So it's the same object, but it's had a class removed from it. Correct. Yeah, it's been altered, but it's the same object. So if you have an array and you add a value, it's still the same array. It just has an extra value in it. So okay. this is the same paragraph, but we've now removed a class from it, but it's still the same paragraph. And it gets handed to the next function, which adds two classes, and it would actually spit the same object out again so we could chain another function to it. So that's a design choice by jQuery that unless the function has something else to return, it will return back the object that was called on. So that allows it more to time. chain. Repeat that. So every jQuery function that doesn't have an explicit need to return something else. So the dot is function always returns a boolean. So you can't chain dot is because the output is a boolean. But every jQuery function that doesn't have an obvious other output returns the object that called the function. Okay, and in this case, p.lead called the function. The well, the object function? produced, all right, so the, the jQuery object produced from that dollar function call called the remove class object. So the same object gets spat out again. Wait, wait, wait. That, remove class is not an object. No, remove class is a function called on okay. the object produced by the dollar function. Okay. So the yeah, dollar we, function we made an object, and we mentally replaced that bit of code with that newly made object. That right. newly made object has a function called remove class, and we've just called that function. It does its thing, and it spits back out the same object. So now okay. both of those have been replaced mentally by the same object again, and we call another function that does something else and spits back out exactly the same object. So is and this we, how they always work? It starts how by they always you pass work. something to the, the jQuery function, spits out a jQuery object, and then you do stuff to it. You are, you're, you're, each, th each of those chained functions are still wa working on that same object. They are assuming the documentation says it spits back out the same object. So how right. can you tell? You go to the jQuery documentation, and this is something I am not happy with in terms of jQuery. If they say nothing in the description about what it returns, you should assume it returns itself. Okay. And there will be a very subtle hint, right? So if you, there's a, is there, I should have meant to put a link in the show notes to the documentation. But the documentation will have, in, I don't, yeah, okay. There is a link, it's a little bit down. It says the docs for dot remove class. So if you open those, right? Um, it's, uh, it's too- Oh, that's a link. Wow. Yeah, that didn't come out as clear as I had hoped. Okay. So if you scroll to the top of that, you'll see it says dot remove class, and then there's a black header. Okay, just a second. I'm taking a quick note here. Uh, okay. What am I looking for in the page? Oh, yeah. Right. There's a black banner, right? Mm-hmm. And on the right of the black banner, it says returns colon jQuery. Okay. Well, that's explicit. Yeah, but it's not <laughs> obvious to most people. Yeah, I suppose. Right? I thought you'd be very cranky about that, actually. I was expecting much push. Well, I can... I can barely find anything in, in these docs, docs myself, but uh, that now that so, you point it, is it always in a nice big black banner? It's a, yeah, that, that black banner will always say what it returns. Okay. So can the very last thing in this chain be something that returns a Boolean? Yes, it can. Ah, there you go. Now I'm a little happier. Yeah, it can be. The last thing in the chain can be anything you like because it doesn't matter. You know, it, it's, it might get assigned to some variable or whatever, or you might... Uh, 
console.logout or whatever. But yeah, it doesn't matter because you're not trying to chain more to it so it can be anything. But as long as you're chaining, they have to be objects. You want to see if I can say that sentence now? Sure. Okay. So we, we, uh, we go look for something. Mm-hmm. In this case, a paragraphs uh, with the class lead, mm-hmm. and we're going to pass it to the to the jQuery function. That is going to return a jQuery object. Yes. From there, now we're going to do our remove class, and that is going to still return the same object. Yes. And if it doesn't, this is all going to barf. Right. So the but third does. one does the same thing. We could add another one that then turned it into something or made it into a variable. Correct. All right. Now, so I want- you have to know whether a jQuery function is uh, returns an object. If it doesn't return an object, it can be on the end, but it can't be in the middle anywhere. Correct. So the only way to understand the function chain is to understand every function in the chain. So either you know the function or you read the manual. There is no way to tell by looking at the line of code what will happen. You have to read the doc or know okay. the doc from experience. So right. I want you to notice two things about this document entry here for dot remove class. So the description is very short. It says remove a single class, multiple classes, or all classes from each element in the set of matched elements. Full stop. End of description. Mm-hmm. If it doesn't say what it returns, you should assume it returns the jQuery object. Every jQuery function that returns something else will say in the description what it returns. And if they leave it out, they assume you understand that means it returns a jQuery. And then to double down on the point, it says returns colon jQuery in the black banner. Okay. So there are your two triggers, right? Read the description and look for that returns jQuery. And if you, that will tell you what's coming to happen. Do you kind of use your head though? I mean, all I'm doing is removing a class. Of course, it's going to be an object. Correct, because jQuery is extremely consistent. They picked an approach and they religiously stuck to it. So yes, you don't have to, you don't have to read the document because you can be confident the jQuery people did it sensibly. Okay. But if you run into a problem, go check that documentation and see if you're just wrong. Correct. Okay. Correct, correct, correct. Okay. So removing and adding multiple classes is a very common use of function chaining because you're basically replacing one class with another, right? I've, taken a lead off and have put alert and alert info on. So that's very, very common to see them chain together like that. Another very common kind of chain to see is where you add an event handler and then immediately call the event handler. And so there's an example of that. Um, when I'm putting an event handler on those toggle buttons, I say, you know, get me the toggle button dot on input, do something dot trigger input. So in other words, set up the event handler and then make it go. Extremely common. So wait, is that a function chain you're pointing at? It is a function chain. So we have the dollar function. Ignore the CSS for now, right? The dollar function, some parens, dot on, some parens. So that's, that is a function chain, dot trigger, some more parens. Oh, 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 there's a, the, the comment of the stuff that's missing was, was messed me up. Okay. So you very often see dot on click da 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 dot or you know dot trigger click or whatever. So is that where you would you would do something like changing its it, changing the style when when it was selected? Correct. Like on click, it's doing all these things. Okay, which you could yeah. do in sep- inside of a function, but function chaining, why not? Right, I could do it as two separate calls. First, add the event handler, then call it. But with a function chain, it's just one line of code that does both. Okay. 
Now, you don't always have to pass through exactly the same object you were given. You can mm-hmm. pass a different object. You just have to pass an object. So jQuery actually has some functions specifically for filtering a big set of objects down to a smaller one. So the easiest to understand example is dot first. So this is an actual snippet from my sample solution because what I need to do when, when that select box for all the different currencies in that add currency card form, the first time we make that select, I want to just select the first thing on the list. So how do I select the first thing on the list? Well, I use my dollar function to get everything in the list, and then I say dot first, and then I say dot prop selected comma true. So that's happening inside of a... Inside of my document ready handler. So my document ready builds that for the first time. And then it just, to start us off, it just selects the first one. I'm being really lazy. So just select the first one. Okay. So the way that function chain works is the dollar function returns a jQuery object representing all of the options. Dot first returns a new jQuery object contains only the first thing in the original. And then on that new object, I say prop selected comma true. Oh, I see the distinction. Okay, so dot first. Uh, okay, so select option found all of the currencies. Mm-hmm. And dot first just said, okay, now I'm going to narrow it down to this one. But that is a new object. That's not a property yeah. of the old object. It is a new object. Correct. It has returned me a new jQuery object that only represents the okay. first thing. And I'm now I have that a- example because I would have thought it always had to be the same object no it doesn't have to be it very 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 often is but it doesn't have to be and jquery has a few functions for doing this kind of filtering and dot first is the easiest one to understand yeah yeah no that makes perfect sense okay so that is all there is to say on function chaining but that is substantial yeah and you've explained that to us before right yes i have attempted to Well, no, you have, whether I successfully got it into my little head. We'll see. It might, you know, you say this enough more times, I might be able to get it. Good. Well, practice, 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 practice. Yep. Um, the last thing to mention quickly, um, I had sort of hoped to keep this episode a little shorter than this, but what the hey, I'll, <laughs> I'll give myself an extra half hour. Um, the last thing to look at today is data attribute. So every element on the page has all of its, you know, browsery stuff built in to make it do its magic. But we are allowed as programmers to attach any arbitrary named piece of information we like. So effectively, we can use them as sort of kind of dictionaries. And the way we do that is using data attributes. They allow us to say, dear paragraph, I'd like you to remember this name value pair, please. Or, dear H1, I'd like you to remember this name value pair. You choose the name, you choose the value, and they just get the browser just remembers it for you. Right? So that's all a data attribute is, is you have just made up a new attribute with a name and you have given it a value, and the browser will keep it inside that DOM element for you. Hmm. Okay. So it allows you to attach data to things. And the way you do it, again, everything has two views, right? So from the HTML point of view, you can create a data attribute by saying data 
minus, and then the name of your choice equals value. So, if so I whatever's want, after the minus is the is, is the, the name. The name, okay, of the name value pair. Yeah. So in our example is a paragraph which has a data attribute named boogers. Yeah, of course it does. Of course it does. So angle bracket p space data dash boogers equals the string sum value closer angle bracket a random paragraph and then closer paragraph tag. So that is how you define a data attribute in the HTML point of view of the world. Hmm. So it's prefixed with data dash. And then you use those for what? Evil. Anything you like. If it would be convenient for you to have a piece of your page know something about itself, you do that with a data attribute. I'll, I'll make this more concrete in a minute. Okay. I just want to explain the other half of the equation. So that's the HTML view. The JavaScript view we get through the magic of jQuery, which provides a wonderfully named function, dot data. Dot data has two modes, tell me or change it. So if you just want the value, you pass it one argument, the name, so dot data boogers. And if you want to change the value of boogers, you would say dot data boogers, comma, the new value. So it's exactly the same as dot click. One argument means tell me, two arguments means change it. Or you know, I do, I remember seeing this a long time ago and it never, uh, never stuck. Let me see if I can say it. Um, so we have this, uh, attribute called it's data, a data attribute yeah yeah data da so data it's a data attribute data dash boogers and it's got some value mm -hmm. if i want to find out what the data attribute is i would say data parentheses boogers correct and if i wanted to change it i'd say data parentheses boogers comma snot correct okay you huh. got it you got it exactly right so one argument means tell me two arguments means change it so I think you're changing my brain because things are sticking that didn't used to stick. This is the, the, the first time you're here. The more you do something, repetition. It's not me, it's repetition. The magic well, but repetition. I'm not really doing it very often. Yeah, uh, we well, didn't actually you do it back then. Little by little, right? Yeah. So why might you do this? Well, I've did it twice within my sample solution. Every card is inside a grid column. And that grid column knows what currency it represents because I have given it a data attribute called data-currency, which contains the ISO three-letter code for that currency. Hmm. So the column that contains the euro card has a data attribute currency that contains EUR. Oh, that's right, because your cards all exist at the same time. Correct. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. So how do I know which one to hide and show? The data attribute knows which one is which. Yeah. Now, I've also given it the class currency call. So I know what currency it represents and that it's a currency column. Now, within each card, there's an unordered list of all the rates. And each list item also belongs to a currency. So each list item also gets a data attribute currency, but it gets the class currency rate, so I can tell them apart easily. Hmm. So within the euro card, the first row, in my case, because I, I have it enabled, is Australian dollar. So that li has currency equal, or data dash currency equals AUD. So it knows it's Australian dollar. Okay. 
Now, the third thing to remember is that CSS allows us to search based on attribute. Any attribute, including data attributes. So you can test this for yourself if you don't believe me. But square bracket name of attribute equals value, close square bracket, is the CSS for give me everything with the data attribute, or give me everything with the attribute. So dollar, open parens, start a string, square bracket, data dash currency equals quote euro, quote, close square bracket, close everything. We'll find everything in the document that has the data attribute currency set to euro. So if you copy and paste that into your console, you will get back one card and many allies. So one div and many allies. Hmm. Right? So depending on how many cards you have open, right? So if you, I don't know how often you've clicked the add card button. So you're going to see a div, which is the euro div, and then a bunch of allies, which is the euro in each of the cards. So I didn't put the currency inside quotes and it still worked. Because it has no space, you got away with it. Oh, okay. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. Makes sense. Yeah. So I got three li- I got two allies, then a div, and then another ally. So that means you haven't added any more cards. Okay. So if you, if you click add currency a few times and run it again, you should find more. Hmm. Because there'll be, more, there'll be more euros, right? Yeah, I was looking for New Zealand dollars, though. No, okay. Well, you know what? Okay, depending so whether or not they're sure. Why did it return it as two allies, then a div, then an ally? Because that's the order it found them in the document. Okay. jQuery just you know navigates its way through the tree and it finds them in the order it finds them. It doesn't sort them in any sort of just as it but, finds them, it collects them into an array. It doesn't really care about the order. If you care so about the got, order, you've got list items for that and the div. That that's probably the thing at the top. Yeah, so the div, the div contains, so each card is inside a column inside the grid, so that's a div. Okay. Right, so you can see... There's a a column with a data uh, attribute of data-currency equals NZD. Correct, that is a column that contains the card for New Zealand dollar. Okay, interesting. All right. right. Now, that's actually not particularly useful. What I actually want to be able to do is to find either the rate or the card as a whole. And you do that by making use of the class selector in conjunction with the attribute selector. So Mm. as an example, we can turn all the euros blue. So we can turn the entire, sorry, we can turn every euro inside every card blue by saying dollar open friends starter string dot currency call so the name of the class which every one of the columns has open square bracket data dash currency equals euro close square bracket space li so what we're saying there is give me the list items inside something with the class currency call that has a data attribute currency with the value euro wow that's a lot in just very few characters that's why css is amazing yeah and then we say add class text dash primary. So if you do that, then the little euros will just turn blue all over the place. Hmm. Oh, sorry, in this case, sorry, we've said every, sorry, I said that wrong. I said my English wrong. My CSS is correct. Every li inside the card for euro has just turned blue. Right, 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 right. Okay. So bing, bing, bing. We can also 
uh, say, don't give me every alliance the card for you, or give me every British pound in any card. And this time we're going to turn it red and bold. So we can say dot currency rate open square bracket data dash currency equals GBP. So in this case, anything with the class currency rate that has the currency GBP, add class font weight bold text dash danger. So whether it's in a, um, whether it's in an LI or not, it would do that. Correct. So all it's looking for is the class and the data. And the only things that have the class are the, the list are the, the rates because that's the only place that I gave that class. So all the all the uh, British pounds turn red, regardless of which card they're in. Okay. I'm I've gotten myself confused by why didn't the the British pound card nothing changed to red right there. because the British pound card does not contain a row for the British pound. Okay, but you didn't ask for list items this time. Uh, correct. What I asked for is anything with the class currency rate, and the only things that have the class currency rate are the list items. Oh, okay. Okay. The card yeah. has the class currency call. I know you explained it, but I just didn't remember your yeah. variable name. Okay. Yeah. Right. Now, what we've just done, we've made stuff blue and red, but what we've just done is actually the brains of my solution. Hmm. Because when I want to show a card, that's the first CSS selector. Right? Give me the card with the currency euro and show or hide it. And the second thing we've done, finding the rate scattered about every card, well, that's what happens when you hit the toggle buttons. Show or hide every British pound. Show or hide every Israeli shekel. Show or hide every Australian dollar. Uh. Right? So those CSS selectors are actually the brains. Those few lines of code are doing 99% of the heavy lifting here. And the only reason it's so simple is because the data attributes are there. So it's possible to just say, give me every euro and do this with it. Give me the entire card for this specific currency and do that with it. Hmm. Then I, hmm, I've convinced you. Yeah, or no, no, I, I, I played with it and uh, was trying to figure out. I think I, uh, it, uh, yeah, I understand what I did. I just told it to, I added a dot hide. To the one okay. that for the euros and the all of the list items disappeared. Yeah, which is actually what happens thing. when you toggle that button, to be honest. When you click uh -huh. the toggle, it's, it's calling dot hide. Yeah. Yeah. And I want to see if now I want to make your GBPs go away. Yep. Whoa, that's pretty cool. Yeah. So that's why data attributes are amazing, because they allow you to assign any name value pair you want to any piece of HTML. Right, hmm. so we've just tagged and said this this row this list item here that's British pounds, and now we can address it. Now we can deal with it as British pounds. Very powerful. So, oh, and but you did that with mustaches, so that none of that's the fact that it says CAD is not hard coded in. Or you're okay. So right, it's not hard coded in because I've used mustache and a loop inside mustache to build the HTML that then got turned into this. Okay. So if you do a view, so like if you internally, they have the appropriate values, but they got there through mustache, not through me hard coding them in. Okay, good, good. Because I'm still looking for things. A lot of times, like I I know how to make this work if it wasn't in a mustache, but it's in a mustache. So how do I how do I get to that one? 
but yeah, with a data attribute, you can use data attributes using those those uh, variables you have. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. And so if you look at the the snippets, they're from my mustache template, right? If you scroll up a bit, you'll see it says mustache, 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 base dot code. Data dash mm-hmm. currency becomes equal to. So actually, here's a nice little bit of revision I hadn't planned. Why tree? Why tree curlies? What's the difference in three and two? Apart from don't say one. Yeah, I don't understand. Did you just say something about three curlies and I never heard it? Uh, just no. When we were doing mustache, I did. I made a very big point of the difference in two and three. Oh, you're talking about a long time ago. Yeah. Oh. So I'm just wondering. This is just a, a, a spur of the moment, unannounced test. Okay. Uh, pop quiz. No clue. Two means HTML escape the stuff. Three means give it exactly as it is. So when you're putting stuff into an attribute, you don't want mustache thinking it's helping you by replacing, say, angle brackets with ampersand LT semicolon. You want it really the way it is. So three mustaches means, no, no, literally what's in the variable. And two mustaches mean turn it into HTML encoded. Okay. That's not so, very sticky, but that's not super important right now, right? It's not in this case because our currency codes are plain text, but if our currency codes had symbols in it, it would matter massively. Oh, okay. So it's for escaping. Yes. So three means, means really don't escape. It. I want you to be literal. Two means escape, please. A lot of the time you just want it escaped because then things will just work. But if you're putting it inside an HTML tag like this, so we're, we're, we're using a mustache inside an html tag right angle bracket div we don't want it to do stuff behind our back here we want it literally as we wrote it okay so that's why the three that was just a pop quiz that wasn't really i didn't even plan to do that but i just noticed my triple curlies (laughs) so that's that's everything i'd planned to do for today but uh i think we're taking a small hiatus so i need to set you some homework to keep you entertained while we're hiating oh goody so this is already much more of a web app than we last left it, right? This mm-hmm. has now come to life. But really, what we ideally want is not just to show me what one euro is worth in dollars or what, you know, one dollar is worth in Australian dollars or whatever. We should be able to type an arbitrary number. So every card should have a text box somewhere or I can just type and then all the rates inside that card will adjust. Inside the card. Right. So imagine, just look at one card, right? So just look at the card for euro. Uh You're currently giving one euro is equal to $1.62 Australian. What if I want to know what five euro 55 cent is? Mm Mm-hmm. I have to do the math myself. Well, there's a computer here. That's not, you know, let the computer do it. So put a text box inside the euro card where I can type a number and then it will show me how many Australian dollars that amount of euro is, how many Canadian dollars that amount of euro is, how many Hong Kong dollars, you know, whatever. So it would still be created originally as as one. I'm, I'm just yeah, trying to think. One's I a good logically... default. Sure, one's a good default, right? So you could have your text box default to one. The reason I'm asking for clarification is I think on on my solution, it would make more sense to ask them before they built the card. Yeah, but you don't really want to... Put it into the card. 
from a user point of view, it would be nice to just show them. I mean, the default of how much is one, you know, one euro is how many dollars is the most obvious question most people want to ask, right? Because that's that's kind of the rate. That's what's in our heads. You know, mm-hmm. is the dollar worth more or less than the euro today? So defaulting to one seems eminently sensible because that'll answer 90% of people's question. So if yeah. you have that as a default, then that's more user-friendly. I got to think about whether that makes sense in my layout. You know, sure. whether that's a, a logical thing that would happen next. Not yeah, so that's, sure. I'm, I'm not specifying that in the challenge. What I'm specifying is that I want people to be able to change the number. Okay. And how you design it is you, it's your choice because it's your app and you're the developer. <laughs> I am. And UI developer. design, right? UI design is not factual. Right. It's, there isn't like a fact of this is the right design. That's not how it works. Right, right. Well, this is this is fun. So we know for a fact that uh, we won't be back for like four weeks. Correct. So and again, expectations. Yeah. So this again sounds like such a simple challenge. I said it in a sentence. <laughs> that may you may find there's a little bit more work to it than it sounds like. Now, you did describe that you started over and redid it, but you hmm. didn't actually say out loud to the audience what you said to me, which is, wow, this is a lot harder than I thought. Actually, sorry, I had meant to say that. Yeah, so, I, no, I think I said that last week, that the reason you all got an extra week is because I surprised myself quite a lot by how hard the challenge was. I hadn't <laughs> intended it to be so difficult. And it was very easy to say, and so I sort of assumed it would be easy to do, and then I went to try to do it, and I was like, ooh, this is quite involved. <laughs> but it was fun, wasn't it? It was. I'm, 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 I'm really happy that I found those toggle switches. They made me very happy. Yeah, but see, now I can't just copy that. That's just, you know. I give you permission if you like. I didn't invent them. <laughs> I mean, I don't want to be a copycat. But if I can't figure out how to make my little uh, checkboxes stay checkboxes on a phone, I might have to. I'll send you a screenshot of what it looks like. Very mm. weird. It definitely sounds weird. It's going to come down to a subtlety of the, the bootstrap docs that's on a line somewhere at the top of the page. Yeah. Well, so for anyone who is uh, not listening to this in 2028, uh, happy holidays, I guess I would say. And I'd, over here, we're, we're, we haven't quite become so PC, so we just say happy Christmas. You know, we're very old fashioned. We just forget that, like, you know, Kwanzaa and Hanukkah. And we just forget about all those things because we're very parochial here. We just assume everyone's Christian, <laughs> which is terrible. So I personally wish you a peaceful and joyous winter season with friends, family, food and fun. How's that? That sounds good. Do we get a uh, happy computing to go to? Until next time, merry computing. If you learn as much from Bart each week as I do, I'd like you to go over to lets-talk.ie and press one of the buttons over there to help support him. He does 98% of the work here. I'm just the stooge that listens to him and asks the dumb questions. If you go over to lets-talk.ie, you can support him on Patreon, you can donate via PayPal, or you can use one of his referral links. I really hope you'll go over and help him out. In the meantime, you can contact me at Podfeet or check out all of the shows we do over there over at podfeet.com. Thanks for listening and stay subscribed.